This is the Education Gadfly Show. Like because he's humble. I don't think I, I think I missed that in the press. Yeah, maybe that was that after he had the concussion that he said that. Maybe. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Jim Harbaugh of Education Reform, <laughs> Brandon Wright. Man, that is, those are big shoes. Hey, man, we, we have high expectations here, and it gives us an excuse for us to stay Go blue. Yes. Because we, uh, Brandon and I both graduated from the best university in the country, the University of Michigan, whose football program at least is about to make a great comeback. Yes, they are. They're they're going to improve and go back to their 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 storied uh, storied achievement. Well, you know, I, I everyone knows that I'm a big believer in looking at growth uh, and not just proficiency. <laughs> so at the very least, we do expect to see growth this season. We're not sure if we're going to get all the way to the high achievement uh, in in Harbaugh's first season. But watch out, baby. We're coming. We're Soon back. Enough. Soon enough. We are back. Okay. It is football season again. It's back to school season. Uh, the newspapers and the internets are jam-packed with all kinds of education happenings, and we will try to talk about some of the more interesting ones. So let's go ahead. Let's play Pardon the Gadfly. Clara, get us started. Did the 74 Millions Ed Summit make clear which of the six themes the presidential candidates are going to champion on the campaign trail? First of all, let's be clear, 74 million and also the um, uh, American, what, what is American the, Federation for Children. American Federation for Children. That's right. The reason uh, I think of they, of, but it's for. For Children. Yes. That was the other sponsor. Uh, you know, what an amazing day. Hey, big, big credit to those two groups for getting these candidates to show up and talk about education for 45 minutes each. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody's gotten them to do that on any topic. Uh, and it was a lot of fun and very interesting. Well, Brandon, look, uh, they all talked a whole lot about school choice. That's not a surprise, given that these were Republicans, given the hosts. They also talked a lot about uh, devolving federal control and education back to the states and to local control. Again, uh, not a big surprise. Nope. Uh, but but what else? I, I guess the question is, are, are you know, th- these are all th- those two themes certainly work with the Republican primary electorate. I'm not so sure that they're going to be enough uh, for a general election. Yeah, I mean, uh, a few of them um, talked about how they should use uh, how the president should use his or her influence, um, right, which which falls in line with their local mm-hmm. control. Um, but that the president should kind of have his or her policy set and try to influence states mm-hmm. to to uh, follow those. So I think if they communicated in that way, mm-hmm. then that'll be. Effective. Yep. That's right. And that, that is what look that that is what Republicans can say is they can say we're going to use our bully public and they can talk about education reforms they support without necessarily getting nailed down and what exactly they would do as president to promote them. Uh, you know, so, for example, on school choice, uh, Jeb Bush did get wonky and talked to some about Title One portability as something that he would try to do as president. But most of them just talked about how they love charter schools and they love voucher mm-hmm. programs. And, and I think that's fine. We put out something last week, our six education the Themes for 2016, and we heard some of them mentioned by the candidates. Mm-hmm. Again, certainly we had one on school choice. That one was mentioned quite a bit. Very excited that Carly Fiorina went on a, a long rant about civics education mm-hmm. and how we are ignoring the civic mission of public schools. That was website. fantastic. That's one of our one of our themes as well. That's right. We've got a clip of that up on our on our website. Uh, Bobby Jindal made a brief reference to school discipline, and that's something that we think is an obvious uh, item for these guys to be talking about especially the obama administration's 
war on school discipline, mm-hmm. as I would call it. Uh, upward mobility, another important theme. We certainly heard Jeb Bush talk about that. We've heard uh, John Kasich talk about, in particular, career and technical education as a means to upward mobility. Marco Rubio is very strong on that as well. Uh, but that still leaves at least one item, one or two items off the list. Uh, one was uh, just making the overall point that education reform is mm-hmm. working. Like to hear that more from the governors. The other one, a good segue to our next topic, gifted education. Yep. None of them Very talked absent. about the needs of high achieving kids. And really haven't in the recent past, if ever. If um, ever. So with that up. segue, Clara, topic number two. Brandon, your recent Wall Street Journal op-ed with Chester Finn on the failure of American gifted education received a lot of attention. Do you think there's an unquenched appetite for this argument? And, and are we calling him Chester all of a sudden now? Checker, baby, checker. <laughs> Just teasing. Okay. Yeah, so Brandon, congrats. Wall Thank Street you. Journal Thank op-ed you. last week. Super you and Checker. exciting. Really, really crazy. You, you got to go on wallstreetjournal.com and do a video uh, show with them as Scary, well. Scary, but fun. And this article is getting a huge amount of coverage. I mean, you were one of the most popular articles on the Wall Street Journal site. That's wild. What, tons of shares on Facebook and Twitter? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is this? Have you tapped a nerve here? And, and if so, why aren't the presidential contenders trying to tap the same nerve about the needs of of, of high achieving kids. Sure. Um, I think it did. Uh, when you look at, at our article compared to um, other op-eds that came out around the same time, we kind of got the most coverage. Um, it seemed the most shares, the most mm-hmm. comments. Um, we also had uh, NPR write up um, an interview that uh, Anya Kamenitz, I'm probably mm-hmm. saying that name wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, she interviewed uh, Dr. Finn there, and um, and that got way more comments uh, than her her articles in in the last uh, couple months. So, yeah, um, people talk about it a lot. I'm I'm actually a little surprised, uh, but it makes sense. If you think about it, um, there 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 really isn't any reason to not do this, mm-hmm. as as we talk about in in our book. Um, there are essentially two good reasons for educating these kids. Um, one is that it's better for our country, mm-hmm. um, our our economy, and then the other one is that it's just fair, right? Um, right. Especially for kids who already have it tough. Now, and, and nobody should have to go to school and not learn anything uh, right. because they are told, well, you'll do fine regardless. We're going to focus on these other kids who need more help. Now, look, the cynic is going to say, well, of course, these Wall Street Journal readers care about this. They all believe, you know, these rich people reading the Wall Street Journal, rich and white, they all believe that their own kids are gifted and talented. NPR, though. And, uh, and well, the <laughs> same thing, that they're okay. liberal, but they also think that they're kids. I mean, these are tend to be people who are very well educated and they probably do have quite a few kids who are gifted and talented and by the way uh, who are being poorly served by many of our schools so you have tapped into a network an organized network of people out there uh, who worry about the education for their own kids and are excited when somebody else is paying attention but look as as you say in the book and as some of these articles get at the kids who are most overlooked are not the wealthy high achievers though they certainly I think could be uh, much better served by our education system, yep. but it's the low-income high achievers, mm-hmm. right? By These far. are the kids 
who go to school by and large in high poverty schools, the schools that are most at risk of getting, you know, an F in a, in a state ranking. And, and they get those F's mostly because their peers are not meeting the proficiency levels on state tests. And so the educators in those schools understandably feel like, Hey, we got to put all our effort on the kids below proficiency on the kids who are struggling. And that means that kids who are gifted or high achieving, however you want to say it in those high poverty schools get very little attention. If they were sitting in a leafy suburb somewhere, uh, they probably would get more attention uh, and there'd be more pressure to serve them. And that is a serious problem. That means that we are losing out this whole pipeline of low income kids, minority kids who could be going to college, selective colleges who could then be going into uh, our professions, who could be leaders in our society, et cetera, et cetera. And we're losing them before they even get to high school, you know, because they are not getting access to gifted programs. They're not getting access to advanced classes. They don't get a chance to sit and be in a classroom with other high achievers where they can act smart and they can be pushed as hard as they can go and push fast. Again, all things that tend to happen more often in selective private schools or in the affluent suburbs. Yeah. So when you have all those facts, it's kind of hard to, to, to argue with. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it should be, well, yet there are people out there who, who do it, you know, and you, and you see it and it's subtle and it's even look on the reform side, a lot of debate this week about New Orleans and what's happened after the 10 years and whether there's these two systems. I noticed some reporting about how there are still some selective magnet schools in New Orleans that there have been for a long time, selective admissions and reformers just very casually criticize these schools as well. These are elitist schools. You know, they're not serving everybody. Uh, They are hurting the cause of equity. What the, you know, by and large, these aren't rich kids in New Orleans going to these schools. Rich kids in New Orleans go to private schools, right? right? These are poor kids who have academic promise. Why do we think they don't deserve our attention uh, and and to be priorities? Drives us crazy. Hopefully we can change that conversation. All right. Clear (laughs) a topic number three. The 2015 PDK and Gallup poll results have revealed a divide between the opinions of white and minority parents when it comes to testing standards and common core why would black and hispanic parents be less likely to support something like the opt-out movement you know brandon this is a very interesting development for somebody of my age i can now remember when uh, back in the 80s and even in the 90s there was still significant opposition to testing among minorities and among many of the traditional civil rights groups that was why checker's famous quote that always gets recycled that you know the, the problem with national testing is that conservatives hate national and liberals hate testing uh, and minorities as an important block, you know, among liberals were definitely. And, and the worry was back in the day that tests like the SAT were seen as barriers to advancement of minorities, uh, that they looked at those achievement gaps and said, well, the test must be biased. Now, suddenly, though, uh, there's been this big shift where they view tests, at least tests used to hold schools accountable and teachers accountable as an important civil rights tool. Right. Is that what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, I, it's 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 obviously uh, kind of impossible to say exactly why there is this this uh, this racial split. Um, but it seems like one of the possible or likely reasons for it is that these parents understand that that these these tests um, are important for the improvement of the education of their kids. Um, a lot more so than um than really other groups um so if they are aware of that then um then and and so we have a colleague here on staff um who has talked about this and uh and used it as an argument against opting out that Mm -hmm. if these if these uh 
parents continue to do this, mm-hmm. um, who tend to be more, more, more affluent, yep. um, this opting out harms these kids for whom the tests are kind right. of meant. And, and they harm the kids because we lose the access to information about how their schools are performing. And, and that information has been a powerful weapon in school improvement, uh, and w- which I certainly buy. Look, you know, you also see, we, we found this in a survey we did a couple of years ago, what parents want. And we asked parents uh, to really in a market uh, research survey kind of way to tell us what they wanted from their schools. There was overwhelming agreement among all parents that they wanted strong basics and they wanted character development and they wanted, you know, strong math and science. I mean, all, all the normal things. But then once you get past that, there were some some niches that came out of that. And it was true that, that minority parents were more likely to be test score hawks and be interested in seeing high test scores. Again, for the reasons you explained, Brandon, that they can't take for granted that the schools serving their kids necessarily are getting high achievement. And you did see this block of parents who tended to be more affluent, tended to be more white, tended to be more liberal. Uh, that was a little bit shall we say crunchier mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and we called them I think expressionists very interested in art education for example again that's fine uh, but you do see these differences every you know going way back decades you see these studies that show that when you have a system of school choice there is this group of sort of crunchy liberal white parents that wants something kind of crunchy and liberal for their kids and the testing thing doesn't seem to fit with that mold right. my own view is uh, the best way to handle this is through school choice you know give those parents what what they want allow them mm-hmm. to have schools where they can have schools that have you know a less uh, a less focus on the test they still got to take the test but sure. if that school wants to ignore the, the test do no test prep don't worry about what the scores say that's fine sure the answer is not to get rid of testing for everybody or to sabotage a system that is helping uh, especially poor and minority kids make tremendous progress over the last 20 years yep all right Very that awesome. is all the time we've got for this week on Pardon the gadfly. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Brandon and I are excited for the football season with our Michigan Wolverines. You, oh, you have come on. <laughs> you, who do you root, do you root the for? Redskins, even though it's really hard to be a Redskins fan. But RG three, I'm trying not to give up on him, but it is tough. Didn't, didn't he just get hurt? I feel like oh, he got a concussion. Like the most pro- injury prone guy ever. Yeah, and did he also like say he thought he was the best quarterback in the NFL? I think he did say something really? like that. An opinion shared by like nobody. Him. Nobody. <laughs> I like him because he's humble. I don't think I. I think that, I missed that in the press. Yeah, maybe that was that after he had the concussion that he said that. Maybe it was. It was the last couple weeks. I think. So I know he was booed, booed the other day when we had that pregame. So getting booed at a pre. Let's face pre-season. it, the Redskins. Yeah. They, they they look. They they are cursed until they get rid of that bigoted name of theirs. Oh, Amber, come on! We're not even going there. <laughs> on. All right, what you got for got us on new, education? All right, we got a new working paper out by American University public policy professor. Oh, that's tough. Seth Gershenson. I'm saying it because he's one of our apes. So yes. I'm giving him, giving him a little kudos. Love it. He examines whether a match of students and teachers by race has any effect on teacher expectations of students. So, for instance, he looks at the impact of white teachers teaching black students versus white students and every possible race combination you can think of. Okay. Mm-hmm. He uses nationally representative survey data from ELS 2002, which is Educational Longitudinal Study, 
Um, he's looking at U.S. students who were in 10th grade in 2002. And two teachers, the student's 10th grade math teacher and English teacher, reported their expectations for each student's educational attainment, mm-hmm. specifically whether they expected that student to complete less than high school, high school, on up to achieving more than a four-year degree. Okay. okay? There were over 16,000 student-teacher matches and included a ton of demographic data about both the student and the teacher. Okay. I'm going to give you just a little bit about the design because this is kind of like a big deal they're finding and you kind of want to say is this for real or not um they look at so let's think about this so differences could be random if for instance they were just based on teachers unique interactions with that student right but if you keep seeing these differences systematically played out again 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 relative to the demographic match then you could suggest right that teachers beliefs could at least be partly explained by that child's demographics okay Mm -hmm. um and it's the case is made even stronger if you can rule out sorting right whereby uh, for instance low ability math students might be routinely assigned to white math teachers Mm -hmm. so they do all this abracadabra in the methods and they're able to rule out systematic sorting because they've got some pretty robust demographic variables and the design is made even stronger when the teachers offer their assessment at the same point in time which is what occurred here Mm -hmm. and it also builds on methodology that's been used in prior studies by other respected scholars so i really dug it in all right (laughs) all right all that to say so it is airtight the key finding uh is that non-black teachers have significantly lower educational expectations for black students than do black teachers when evaluating the same students for instance, mm-hmm. when a black student is evaluated by a black teacher and a non-black teacher, the latter is about 30% less likely to expect that student to complete a four-year degree than the black teacher. Mm-hmm. And the effects are larger for black male students and math teachers. All right. Mm-hmm. And then you look at all the other combinations, which they do. Um, and they say, you know, when you look at the average effects across all students, there are small differences relative to these racial mis- mismatches, so to speak. But these small effects are mostly driven by this much larger effect among black students, which I just told you about. I don't know. At the end, you mm-hmm. know, they're interviewed and they've been posting this on um, Chalkboard and some other sites. And they basically say that, you know, these biases and expectations are generally, generally unintentional. Mm-hmm. And they're, quote, an artifact of how students categorize complex information Hmm. and point again to the need for a more diverse teaching staff. All right. So let me get this right. Basically, you could argue that it is the then the white math teachers who are the most pessimistic, especially when it comes to black male students, Mm -hmm. or on the flip side, it would be what black English teachers who are the most Most optimistic. optimistic. That's right. That's yes, right. Indeed. And and were they able to say like do, do we can we follow the kids to know sort of who was right? No yeah. following in the study. No. Wouldn't that no be interesting following. to it see like who who was right about how yes, far they ended up going? Yes, because somebody that's the that's the assumption going in that one of these teachers is wrong. Right. right. And we could test that empirically, <laughs> yes. right? Wouldn't wouldn't some of the low expectations be self fulfilling though like if, if if everyone has them and right. that's all these kids face then right. they're not going to go that far no, and no, that's no, no, another that's study right? but i know absolutely but you know what they're saying here is they're they go into one classroom and they you know somebody has high expectations for them or hopes for them and another one it's lower and so let's imagine that cancels out i mean maybe, i don't know if it does but sure. uh, but no that's absolutely right but it would be interesting if we actually the study follows follow these them. kids that eventually you could see how far did they get that's right uh, and and know then what what you know mm-hmm. so in other words you could say look were, are these white math teachers in fact 
you know, racially biased, overly pessimistic, too many low expectations, which they may be, you mm-hmm. know, what if it turns out though that they were right? I mean, you're, mm-hmm. it could be self-fulfilling, but they also could be, Hey, they're maybe they're good at math and they know the probability they've seen the statistics. They, you know, have uh, willing to be realistic uh, about, uh, and, and they know that when it comes to college readiness and completion, it's the math stuff that matters. I mean, right. it's, you know, overwhelmingly the kids ending up in remedial education is for math. It's not for English. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's no, true. And I think they were very even handed and fair about how they explained yeah. it. You know, they just didn't, they didn't just, you know, throw up their hands and say, Oh, we've got racism going on. You know, yeah. I mean, it just, it was obviously it was carefully done and, um, yeah. Now, now it's like, okay, like, but does this really matter? Does it play mm-hmm. out? You know, there have been other studies that obviously try to get into that black box as yeah. well. But, um, you know, this study was just able to look at these expectations and just relative to, you know, their long-term, um, you know, educational prospect mm-hmm. of graduating from college. Yeah, and, and, and love, the, by the way, this methodology of saying, you know, have two teachers examining the same kids that's really smart and, yeah. and thoughtful yeah and apparently in the, this was the Tom D which I had missed it's not the it's not the one that we probably know yeah. about whether if you have a black teacher you tend yeah. to do better yeah. it's another one he did relative to discipline where he was uh, able to look at two teachers same thing expectations yeah. relative this kid was going to be a discipline problem or not right um, so yeah Interesting. I mean, methodology's been, right. been around way to go Seth I'm a member of our Emerging Education Policy Scholars yes. Program an initiative of Fordham's and American Enterprise Institute. And by the way, we will be opening up nominations for the next round shortly. We will be. Good plug. This is for uh, folks who are about to get their PhDs or recently got their PhDs Mm. in education policy and want to learn how to not just write studies that will end up in journals that nobody reads. Right. Because we saw this one in a blog post. That's right. But also try to have an influence on the public policy discussion. Yes. All right. Good plug for that. All right. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Brandon. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week, I'm Brandon Wright. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.